I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k flats. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. On Wednesday, I'm KGW. Quiet, please. Are you ready for the big show? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Lars. And now. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show, and happy Tuesday from the Radio Northwest Network. It is a pleasure to be with you. And if you want to jump into the best conversation, we'll certainly afford you the opportunity. But first, without getting too personal about it, I've got a couple of questions that I'd like to ask you. Number one, should schools punish your daughter for misbehavior more severely because she has white skin? or cut her a break if she's a person of color. Now, before you call me crazy, I'm just gonna tell you, it's part of a union contract that just got negotiated. In other words, everybody focused on the money involved, and yet there was garbage like this in there as well. Should they punish her less if she says, I'm not a girl, I'm a boy, and more if she insists on actually being a girl as she was born a girl. And should kids who threaten to attack other students get an exemption from expulsion? I know, they all sound like crazy questions. I'm gonna suggest to you, they're only not crazy because they're actually in writing in a contract, and this is what's going to be coming at your kids if you insist on sending them to the failing government-run schools. In any case, I want to get into the details of this in just a moment. First, welcome to the program. Glad to have you on board for a little honestly provocative talk radio. And if you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you happen to be a naysayer, we're always going to put you right to the head of the line just come equipped with a few facts, maybe a little bit of logic, make your point, and stick around for a couple of questions afterward at 866-439-5277. If you'd rather email, talk at LarsLarson.com. Doesn't get much easier than that. And then, of course, there's our Twitter poll. And this one, this one really gets to me. Because I understand why the FBI says we have to be able to do surveillance on foreign nationals because they may actually present a danger to our country. Yeah, especially these days when China Joe Biden has been allowing fighting age Chinese males to come in illegally across our southern border by the thousands. And of course, regular illegal aliens by the millions. No exaggeration at all. 
But FBI Director Christopher Wray has been in front of the U.S. Congress saying, you can't take away our surveillance powers. So the problem is they haven't only used those surveillance powers to go after foreign nationals. They have also gone after American citizens. And in fact, the folks, 50 lawmakers signed a statement saying, don't give the FBI this power. And it was signed by both Democrats and Republicans. So you've got the deep state of the FBI which has allowed itself to be used for political purposes and a lot of other nefarious purposes, including surveillance of Americans who've committed no crime, aren't even suspected of a crime. So here's the way I framed the question, and I think I did it fairly. Should Congress let the FBI keep its power to spy on Americans? I would answer that one no. You can answer any way you like. At Lars Larson Show or at LarsLarson.com, brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. Now, yesterday's question, this crazy idea that is coming from Senator Ron Wyden, the senator who claims to represent Oregon but lives 3,000 miles away in New York City with his wealthy wife and his three small children. Should Congress force you to pay a tax on Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime and all the other streaming services. And if you ask, what do they need the money for? When was the last time you ever heard the government say, we've got enough money. We don't need to raise any new taxes. Every time they see a tax, Democrats usually loathe new taxes. And apparently Ron Wyden likes the idea of taxing you on Netflix. I might point out, as I did yesterday, that an awful lot of those streaming services, including Disney Plus, I'm not that crazy about Disney, but Disney Plus has apparently made no money whatsoever. So the government is going to put a tax on a business enterprise that doesn't actually earn a profit. What could possibly go wrong with that? So I said no to the idea. So did 97% of you. Only 3% of you said yes to a Netflix slash Hulu slash Amazon Prime slash Disney Plus tax. But let me get back to what this brand new contract says. So everybody paid attention because the teachers went on strike for three weeks. And by the way, they're getting paid for every day they were on strike. Plus they got strike pay during the strike. Plus they're gonna have makeup days and they'll get paid for that as well. But part of that union contract says that school officials have to, must consider a disruptive student's race gender identity and sexual orientation when crafting that student's disciplinary plan. When a student exhibits, quote, continuous disruptive behavior, the new bargain between the union and its unionized teachers and the school district says school officials must develop a support plan for the student, which can include discipline, like detention. The plan must take into consideration the impact of issues related to the student's trauma. They don't explain that race, gender identity and presentation, sexual orientation, and restorative justice as appropriate for the student. I might suggest that the next time your kids talk to you about this, if you say, if you get in trouble at school, tell them to, that today you identify, uh, I don't know, as a black lesbian. Uh, and you might even be thinking about changing your gender. Throw all that into the mix. You probably won't get any punishment at all. The new discipline policy also eliminates mandatory suspensions for students who threaten or actually harm other students. Right now, those students may only be removed from the classroom. They cannot be removed from the school altogether. 
And somebody tell me that actually makes sense, because one of the first emails I got this morning after I'd already planned to talk about this came from a person who withheld the name, but she signed herself pissed off Oregon parent. Hey, Lars, it basically sounds like the Portland public schools feel like if you're a white kid and you assault or threaten somebody or something of that sort, you face expulsion. I agree. But if you're a member of some other group or member of the alphabet soup people, then you'll be sent off to a self-regulation space, whatever that is. Maybe because PPS thinks you don't know any better if you're not a privileged straight white kid. Either way, I've seen a lot of really wrong and stupid things come from public institutions in this state, but this one really stands out as going too far. Maybe it's because I have a school-age son who is white. I don't know. But the public needs to be aware of this absurdity. If you're able to do a piece on your show, that would be cool. Other than that, best wishes and Merry Christmas. I'm pissed off Oregon parent. And I wrote back to her and I said, look, I got to tell you something. I was already planning to talk about it, but your email just put the cherry on top. This is crazy. I want to see if we can get one naysayer who thinks that when a student misbehaves, that the school should take into account sexual orientation, gender orientation, racial orientation, actual skin color, and whether or not your child has suffered from any kind of trauma. And all of that gets wrapped in. And if you're a straight white kid, chances are you're going to get the full discipline that's allowed. But if you're not, then you're not. So consider that. Glad to have you with me on a Tuesday. Your call's always welcome at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. You can send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Check out our Instagram feed on Instagram. You can also see uh, Facebook or Meta, whatever you want to call that. And uh, always tell Alexa to play the Lars Larson Show. Coming up. We gotta talk about the plans our government masters have for us and the latest developments when it comes to energy in your own home. You're listening to the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. When he talks, you have no choice but to listen. More with Lars. That makes a lot of sense, a lot of nonsense. Right, you bloody well right. You know you got a right to say it. 
This is the Northwest Nonsense. How much longer do we have to sit for this nonsense? That great moment every day where Lars brings you the cold, hard facts without any liberal wokeness from the daily dead fish wrapper or mainstream media bias. We keep getting warnings about the crazy energy future that our government masters have planned for us here in the Pacific Northwest. Are we paying attention to those warnings or should we just ignore them and hope for the best? Washington State's Building Code Council just voted to effectively ban natural gas in new homes and buildings. I have to say effectively because officially natural gas furnaces and stoves and cooktops and water heaters are not forbidden, except that the new building standards voted in by the Washington State Building Council, well, they require a level of efficiency that even they admit can only be met by electric heat pumps. The first comparison I made to that was they said it'd be like saying you're still allowed to buy a gasoline-powered automobile. You just ha can only buy one if it gets better than 100 miles to the gallon. And if you say, Lars, no such thing exists, I say, yeah, that's right. But you're not banned from buying gasoline-powered cars, except that the rules really do ban you from that. It's that kind of sneakiness by the Washington State Building Codes Council. So you've allowed, you're allowed to have any natural gas furnace or water heater that meets standards that they can't possibly meet. Yeah, I know. Uh, welcome to government. So they're pushing for you to use electricity in a region where the electric grid is more fragile than ever before. Forecasts are already predicting electric blackouts in the Northwest when rain, temperature, and supply happen to collide. A region where the government is already pushing people to electrify their ride by trading in their gas cars and trucks for battery buggies, putting even more pressure on the electric grid. All of that while the federal government is negotiating in secret with environmental groups to tear out the four Snake River dams that supply 8% of all the electricity in the region. If you want to know why the president demands that America tie its energy future to Chinese communist-made solar panels, windmills, and battery cars, a congressional committee now has the bank record showing that Joe got some of his cash paid for by the chai Cubs. Joe Biden bought and bribed by his buddies in Beijing. And then a couple of questions of the day, and then I'll get to calls. Uh, Glenn writes in from McMinnville. Lars, I saw that Governor Kotek had the flags lowered to half-staff in honor of Rosalind Carter, the former first lady. Does she have any plans to do the same for Justice O'Connor, the first woman on the Supreme Court? Maybe her glass ceiling doesn't matter because she's from the other side of the political spectrum. Maybe the Democrats can have the flags lowered for 23-time convicted felon George Floyd again. Disgusting. Signed, Glenn in McMinnville. And this one, a second question of the day from Ron. Uh, Ron uh, writes, did I miss the memo? This was in the Daily Fish Wrapper about license plate tags. Is it now okay not to register your vehicle? I walked my neighborhood and couldn't help noticing the number of cars with expired tags, many of them years old. I feel it's a civic duty to pay my dues, but... Am I just being a sucker? Well, as my former DA buddy Josh Marquis points out, it's much worse than that. Recent legislation forbids Oregon police officers from even initiating a stop on an invalid license plate tag. That means people who are drunk driving, carrying drugs, or on their way to kill somebody don't get stopped by the police. And now, today's Daily Grill. Insane. Are you Ridiculous. They get more and more ridiculous. Flat out dumb. You're even dumber than I thought. Who deserves today's Lars Grill of the Day? Maybe they're just really, really stupid. Find out right now.
I'm going to award today's Daily Grill, and I might ask producer uh, Joel if he can get the, one of the sound bites from Pramila Jayapal, member of Congress from the Seattle area, and she is about as liberal as the day is long. I'm going to give the grill to Jayapal and to Joe Biden. Sixty days after Hamas terrorists launched their massacre against Israel, at least eight American citizens, one woman and seven men, remain unaccounted for in Gaza. And now it's highly unlikely that any negotiations with the Hamas terrorists are going to resume anytime soon after Hamas broke the temporary truce last week. Even Biden's top national security spokesman admits they have no idea where the hostages are or if they're even alive anymore. And all of that comes as the Biden administration continues to botch almost every aspect of the war. Over the weekend, Kamala Harris directly criticized Israel, outlining a series of conditions which they must abide by in a post-conflict Gaza, calling to revitalize the Palestinian Authority, which has provided billions to convicted terrorists and their families over the past decade. Karine Jean-Pierre, spokeswoman for Joe Biden, refused to condemn Democrat Pramila Jayapal, who apparently, appallingly, insisted we have to be balanced in our outrage against Hamas' use of rape in war. And if you don't believe that, Joel, would you go ahead and play uh, one of those two sound bites? I think it's the first one from Pramila Jayapal, apparently trying to explain she's not willing to uh, condemn Hamas because when rape is used in war, it's complicated. Listen to this. So what makes you think that Hamas would comply with a longer-term ceasefire. Well, I think this is all about negotiation. Qatar has been incredibly helpful here. It's not clear to me from the reporting um, who was to blame for. Uh, you don't for believe the, the U.S. the Biden administration that Hamas? Well, I just think it's very complicated. Young women. Very complicated. I think it's very, but then very about the question of whether or not you should go after Hamas and say you took hostages. Regular with military respect, does not take hostages. Respect. Take a listen to the second soundbite. With respect, I was just asking about the, the women, and you turned it back to Israel. I'm asking you about Hamas, in fact. I already answered your question, Dana. I, I said it's horrific, and okay. I think that rape is horrific, sexual assault is horrific. I think that it happens in war situations. <laughs> Terrorist organizations like Hamas obviously are using these as tools. Mm -hmm. However, I think we have to be balanced about bringing in the outrages against Palestinians. Now, hold on a second. This is a member of the U.S. Congress, Pramila Jayapal. I've actually talked to Congresswoman Jayapal. I've invited her to come on this show. Apparently, her husband listens to the show, but she doesn't. Uh, but she's sitting there saying, well, yeah, rape is horrible, but it happens. Yeah, it happens. It's like some people did some things or something. Remember when that was said about 9-11? Yeah, rape happens, but you have to consider the outrages that have been committed against the Palestinians. This is a member of Congress. Congress, of course, from the Democrat Party, who's trying to say, well, there was rape, but it's more nuanced than that because the Palestinians have suffered as well. Does anybody think that that is that should be the words and the language of a, mem uh, a member of the United States Congress? Because I don't. Let's go to Chris in Richland listening on 620 K uh, 610 KONA. How you doing, Chris? Good, Lars. How you doing? When you got to come and see us? So I got a uh Beat up the other guy that invited you last time to get you down here? Uh, yeah, you do. You have to get Rob on board. You get Rob to invite yeah. me. I love coming to the Tri-Cities. It's great. But we're coming up to a break. What's on your mind? All right. So this natural gas thing, I just wanted everybody to know that these aren't building code officials that are passing this legislation, this ridiculous stuff. 
These are bureaucrats placed in this position by Jay Inslee. None of these people have anything to do with the codes in the state of Washington. They probably never picked up a hammer on their lives, yet they're wanting to uh, dictate how comfortable and uncomfortable we can live. Uh, and not only that, Chris, but the estimate is these new rules will add add an average $9,000 in extra cost to every brand new home. The Lars Larson Show. want to be at this is the lars larson show welcome back to the lars larson show it's a tuesday it's the radio northwest network and it's my pleasure to be with you and our friend john charles who serves as president and ceo of the cascade policy institute john welcome back to the program i wanted to talk to you about tolling and congestion pricing and all the rest of this because it seems oregon's transportation officials seem dead set on doing this even though many of us oppose it well, they do seem dead set, and I don't think it will be implemented because it's so punitive. It's just putting tolls on highways that already exist, and it's clear from elsewhere in the country the more than 60 express toll lane facilities that have been built that there is actually consumer demand for new highways paid with tolls, but retrofitting the way it's being talked about here, uh, I don't think that's going to happen, and it probably shouldn't happen. Now, there's one point of disagreement between you and me, and I, but I understand why you say you've been long a, a proponent of congestion pricing. You know, in, in, in the private sector, if you want to get a package delivered fast, you can pay for Federal Express, you can pay for faster service or slower service. But when it comes to things like com commonly owned, uh, meaning government owned, but open to all, uh, f uh, structures like, like freeways and roads and bridges and all that, should we congestion price people out who can't afford to be on those roads? Well, like I said, I think the place to start is with new facilities and then to learn what is the willingness to pay. And all over the country, new facilities, regardless of how they're priced, I mean, they are priced at the point of consumption. Someone has to pay. Um, it's very popular because people get something in return that they want, reliability and speed. So the question of paying for for something we already have, like the regional highway system now, I don't think that's a conversation that is really necessary. And I think the, I think the public has spoken already that they're not willing to have it. So I think the bigger question for this region is to, uh, the fact that we haven't built anything new since 1982 when I-205 opened. There is no discussion in the nearly 600-page regional transportation plan the Metro adopted for a, a, a new highway ever. And I think they are obligated to say when and where will new highways be built and let's start planning for them and then we can price them uh, electronically with tolls and see how that works, see how the public accepts that. Yeah, and I, I usually put the benchmark for 205 back a little bit because they actually started the freeway, I think, in either the late 60s or 71 or 72, somewhere roughly 50 years ago. So you've got ODOT 
funded at three plus billion dollars a year with 4,500 employees, and they don't build anything. I mean, they they repair the stuff that's already there, but we're paying three billion dollars a year, and we don't get any new transportation infrastructure. It's a crazy well, situation, and yet I don't see any pushback from the legislature. Well, it's not. It's not really just an ODOT problem. I mean, basically, since Vicatia left office, there <clears throat> the decision from every governor since and legislative body since has been that the era of highway construction is over. So ODOT understands that. They get funded by the legislature, so they don't talk about it. My view is, well, what about 50 years from now or 100 years from now? Seriously, no matter how big the population grows, how much the economy grows, we'll still have two bridges from Portland and Vancouver. We'll have the current highway system. That's it. There's no vision for ever expanding infrastructure. That's not going to work. No, and yet, if, as long as they stick to that, I want to shift to transit for a moment because I think you and I are on the same page when it comes to transit. A lot of people don't seem to realize, but you know the numbers better than I do. Is it fair to say that use of transit, even with billions of dollars poured into it in the Northwest and, and billions in the, in the Portland region, uh, that, that use of transit is actually going down and not up? Well, it peaked for TriMet in 2012 it's been declining ever since it sort of took a huge hit in 2020 with the pandemic and hasn't come back and so even in, in this plan that they just adopted um, last week they say well transit share of travel is 4.1 percent and by 2045 it might be 5.4 percent <laughs> but our, our goal is 12 percent what's what's the reason to have a goal that's more than double the current, triple the current, it's not going to happen. It's fantasy. Because it's going the other direction. And the other thing is, you, you've cited the work of Randall O'Toole, who I think is a great, a great guy with the numbers. He's an economist. And he says transit actually uses more energy per passenger mile than the average car or light truck in every single urban area. That's, that's true. That's been true for a while, actually. I mean, cars have been getting a lot more efficient. And especially buses uh, and light rail have been getting less in terms of partly because there aren't that many people on them. And so it takes a lot of, you know, the transit bus gets about three and a half miles per gallon. And if all you have is one driver and one passenger, that's not very efficient. And much of the day, that's what they've got. And there's really no yeah. way to change that, I guess, unless you were to, I don't know, have transit that only operates during the peak parts of the day. Would that even fix it? Well, you know, there's a variety of fixes, and we've just published a paper by Randall that gets into various uh, suggestions. But the first thing is to recognize, which the TriMet board never will do, is that basically institutionally TriMet is a dead man walking. It's, it's obsolete. His business plan is obsolete, and they need to consider the current situation in which workers are now, a lot, many of them are remote, and um, lower-income people have cars, which is much more usable for them. And the entire notion of getting people around by buses, the value proposition has just gone. And also ride-hailing, Uber and Lyft, uh, has really decimated transit use for very logical reasons. So until we admit that the current model is out of date, we can't even have a conversation about what might be alternatives. Well, let me let me try something on you because I think 
Weren't you the guy decades ago who told me about a plan where you'd use pagers and other things to coordinate people sharing trips, not like Uber and Lyft are today, where it's a paid-for service, but where you, you might able to actually use the trillions of dollars in automobiles that people already have. Now, that didn't go anywhere, but Uber and Lyft have. What would happen if, for example, you said, let's stop pouring billions into rail and hundreds of millions into buses, and let's just shift to a rideshare system and make the rideshare system much bigger. And for those people of limited means, if you're going to have a subsidy of, I forget what TriMet's, is TriMet's budget about $2 billion? Uh, I forget exactly, but everything they operate is subsidized. And at the high end, like West, it's about $100 per boarding is the subsidy. What would happen if you said instead... We'll, we'll subsidize rideshare instead. Not that I'm, a cr I'm crazy about government subsidies, but if you've got to subsidize something, subsidize something that's user-friendly enough to get everybody to use it. If you did it that way and stop pouring billions into fixed light rail systems that, can, that can't be moved once you built them, and they represent uh, you know, billions of dollars. Seattle's got 50 or 60 billion going into fixed rail instead of going to something that actually meets the needs of the people. Could you, could you go to a rideshare system of some kind that would actually replace the transit agencies altogether? Uh, I think it could replace a substantial portion of the agencies, and, and we have encouraged TriMet to experiment with that, and some transit agencies are, especially with low-income people. Just say, look, why don't you cut a bunch of the service that only has three or four people on a bus and just identify those people and give them uh, a voucher. coupon, yeah. voucher, coupon, that allows them what most of us want, which is on-demand, door-to-door service, either by a car we already own or by one that we rent through um, one of the ride-hailing services. And learn as you go. That's the way to do it. That's John Charles, President and CEO of the Cascade Policy Institute. Glad to be with you on a Tuesday. And, John, thanks for the time. In a moment, one Washington city wants to give itself the power to say what goes on the library shelves that your kids see at the library. We'll get to that coming up next. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Broadcasting from his socially distanced bunker to yours. 
It's sanitized entertainment. Here's Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Tuesday. We're live on the Radio Northwest Network. We're coming up on our 24th anniversary of serving the Pacific Northwest states of Oregon, Washington, and Idaho from a great network of 26 stations in those three states, and I'm glad to be with you. If you want to join the conversation, and I'll get to calls here in just a moment, at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you happen to be a naysayer, we'll put you right to the head of the line. Still waiting for that Pramila Jayapal defender who's going to defend her statement that, well, you know, rape, it happens. Yeah, it happens. And, uh, and, but you have to consider all the bad things that have been done to the Palestinians. I would love to ask Congresswoman Jayapal, are there any things that are bad enough that if you did them to a person, it would justify that person raping a woman hostage? I'd love to hear Congressman, Congresswoman uh, Pramila Jayapal's answer to that. Our Twitter poll question today, should Congress allow the FBI to keep its power to spy on Americans? The FBI director, Chris Wray, told the Congress we have to have this ability because we're protecting the nation. Except that they're also spying on American citizens who aren't even suspected of crime. So, should the Congress let them keep that power? Otherwise, it expires at the end of this year. I would say no. Don't let the FBI keep that power. That agency is so weaponized and so politicized. I don't think they, I don't think they can justify holding on to the authority to spy on Americans. And they've shown no intelligence or maturity in using that. So, you lose it. That's it. Should Congress let the FBI keep its power to spy on Americans? No. Today's Twitter poll is brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. Let's go first to, uh, let's go to Matt in Medford listening on the Radio Northwest Network and KMED. Home of Bill Meyer. How are you doing, Matt? What's on your mind? Hey, Lars, I'm doing terrific. Hey, listen, I agree with you. People should be treated the same regardless of their race, uh, gender, nationality, any of that stuff. That shouldn't, people should not play those kind of games anymore. So how, how do we then explain a formal contract worth hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, adopted by the Port, the uh, Portland Public Schools and by the teachers union? Uh, that says we are going to most certainly treat students differently based on their race, religion, uh, well, their skin color, their we sexual should, we identity. Should, we should throw the contract, just get rid of the contract and, and nail it, kick it out. It's, it's, you know, avoid it. Do whatever you have to do to get rid of it because when they play those kind of games, regardless of race, religion, nationality, any of that stuff, that's, that's bad. I think you're absolutely right and I appreciate the call. Let's go to Steve in Oak Ridge. Hey, Steve, welcome to the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? Mr. Lars. That transit tax in Portland that we all pay in the state of Oregon when we work here, yeah. if they know it's a failing business, they know it's failing everywhere, and know it's going to fail, why are they still taking the money out of our checks? Because they, two reasons, because they can and inertia. You remember taking well, physics in high school? Yep. A body, at mo a body in motion continues to stay in motion until acted on by some outside force, and a body at rest tends to stay at rest. You've, if you've ever had your car stall out, you know that. <laughs> you try and push the car down the road, and if it isn't already in motion, it's tough to get it going. And it, once it gets going, it's tough to stop it. So bureaucracies have that same thing. They start doing something a certain way. And then they grow up and they grow a couple of billion dollar uh, enterprise supported by taxes around that. 
And then you say, why don't you change the direction you're going? The direction you're going isn't doing anybody any good. And they say, no, no, we've been going this direction a long time. We're going to keep doing it the same way we always have. I mean, if it were up to TriMet, they'd probably still be in the buggy whip business or have barns for the horses drawing your, your horse-drawn carriage. I mean, they're about as obsolete as you can imagine, but they're pulling in a ton of money, and nobody seems willing to stand up and challenge uh, a system that doesn't serve the people who are paying for it. Well, I'm tired of paying for it, and the state people of Oregon need to figure this out and get the votes right. And by the way, Thank Steve, what, one, one thing you should be aware of, when you stop at the gas pumps and you put gas in your truck or your car, you pay a state gas tax, but you also pay a federal gas tax. About 40% of your federal gas tax that you pay every time you buy a gallon of gas goes to transit. In other words, it goes to a system that, as John Charles pointed oh. out, carries less than 5% of all commuters, even in an urban area like Portland, and might carry, you know, 6 or 7% at some point down the line, except that they... Their ridership has been going down for the last decade, and it shows no signs of changing direction. So if you say, if the system isn't working and it's going the wrong direction, why don't we change it? And once again, it goes back to inertia. Nobody seems willing to actually stand up and say, this is failing, let's do something different. Like I said, we need to vote the right people in office and get these Democrats out. Thank yeah. you, sir. You do good work. Thank you, sir. I appreciate the feedback. 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Bravo to the Renton City Council for rejecting an outright wage increase of minimum wages to $19 an hour. They did send it to the voters. I have a feeling the voters in Renton are going to, are, they're going to actually confirm that decision by their city council. Uh, but the other night they had a meeting, uh, Monday night. And they were asked, do you want to approve a minimum wage in the city of Renton of $19 an hour? And I think the Renton City Council did the right thing by saying no to that. And in Lakes, or sorry, Liberty Lake, the Liberty Lake City Council wants to take over control of what books get stocked in their library shelves. It's being called book banning. They're not banning any books. Every single library in the world decides which books it will stock and which books it will not. And thank God the Liberty Lake City Council is saying, maybe we should take control because the librarians are making some really bad choices about which uh, which books they put on the shelves. You've got the Radio Northwest now. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Live. This is the Lurch.
Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Live now. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I've got a crazy question for you, and I love crazy questions. Consider this. Should the Congress open up our national parks and national monument lands to be used as homeless camps and camps for illegal aliens? Now, if you say, Lars, that is truly insane. Who would have thought of that? Well, guess who would have thought of it? A current member of Congress by the name of Val Hoyle. And she has an opponent. Val Hoyle has never deigned to come on this show and actually answer some questions. I'd love to have her on. I'd treat her nice as pie. But instead, I'm going to talk to her opponent, who I hope <laughs> replaces her in the U.S. Congress. And that's Monique Despain, who's running for the U.S. Congress in Oregon's 4th Congressional District to replace the incumbent and, I think, thoroughly corrupt Val Hoyle. Monique, welcome back. Hi, thank you, Lars. Good to be back. Glad to do it. So uh, if my audience is thinking I'm completely lunatic, housing illegal aliens and the homeless in national parks and monuments around the landscape, uh, that truly is something that Val Hoyle says she supports, right? Absolutely. She didn't vote to prohibit the use of federal funds to provide housing to these specified aliens on any kind of uh, federal lands not just the federal parks, it's also the Bureau of Land Management, uh, BLM properties. National Forest national Land, forest. too, wouldn't it be? Yep, National Forests. I mean, not that I expect that the homeless or the illegal aliens want to live miles out of town. Uh, do they want to go to Mount Rainier National Park or do they want to go to Crater Lake National Park? I don't think so. Do they want to live dozens or hundreds of miles out of town in the National Forest? Probably not because they want to stay close by to where they can, uh, you know, get the resources they need, food and everything else. But still in all, she didn't think that was a bad idea. Did she explain that vote at all? No. In fact, she often doesn't vote. She's missed 24 votes in her first year, which is almost double the average in a, a cycle for the average member. Any explanation for that? No, not that I know of. And she's still fighting against the investigation of her prior job as head of Bureau of Labor and Industries Commissioner for the state of Oregon, where she steered a half-million-dollar contract over to some folks uh, from LaModa, the weed outfit, the marijuana outfit, that had apparently given, given her a stack of cash. And, and then she steered a half-a-million-dollar contract to them for training interns or training people to work behind a cash register, which seemed kind of ridiculous to me. And that's another issue you've raised, isn't it? Right, and thanks to you that you raise it, too. I think we have an obligation to make voters aware of who they really have representing their interests in Congress. Well, let's talk about this, Monique. Where can people find information about your campaign? Because I'd love to see Val Hoyle replaced as a member of Congress. No, thank you. Monique. ForCongress.com. I have a website. Um, there's uh, all my news links there, too, and also Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, MoniqueForCongress.com. What are the issues that you plan to persuade voters with? 
Well, border security, of course, um, which would resolve this, this issue we're talking about now about where to put all these migrants. Um, public safety, as you know, we've talked about it before in my work in the state. Um, that's just paramount for Oregonians. I mean, just, yeah, well, and government transparency. This is also uh, what you just mentioned. Uh, government transparency and accountability is just essential to the survival of our nation. So voters are aware and they know who to vote for. Monique, are you confident that if you get back there and if the Republicans get a majority in the House and the Senate and preferably a president in the White House, that we can actually get the changes made? Because we had those conditions in Donald Trump's first two years. We had Trump in the White House with all the right ideas, and we had a Republican House and a Republican Senate, and the Republican House and Senate didn't accomplish much of anything except to dramatically increase government spending. And I'll hold them to that because they always talk about cutting spending. And then the first time they had the chance to hold all three votes, you know, House, Senate and president, uh, they, they threw it away. Am I, am I confident that we can make change with someone like me in Congress? Was yes. Your question. Yes, yes. absolutely. Um, I've done this for my entire uh, adult life. I roll up my sleeves. I get common sense uh, results. Um, as a colonel in the Air Force, as a lawyer, an advocate for the law, an advocate for our communities, I've been doing this. Uh, I'm not afraid to say what's right and to take uh, appropriate actions to, to get the right thing done. And I think that I'll just continue. I know I'll continue that in Congress. Well, when, when, and when you get back there, the other issues I'd love to see addressed are getting America back to harvesting its own energy from the abundant resources we've got and stop this crazy rush to electrify everything. What, what do you have to say about that? Well, we don't even have the capacity to elect, electrify everything. You know, scientific development and experimentation, that's all great. But as you know, they're trying to put windmill farms 30 miles off the coast of Oregon. Um, they, The federal government has initiated that. They haven't even been coordinating with Oregon officials. Um, I thought I was the one behind on the topic, but in making inquiries, commissioners, mayors, city councilors have not even been involved in the discussion. Um, but we know uh, now that our attention is on it, it's been an epic fail off the East Coast. So it's just an example of the, the wasted federal funds uh, to explore these uh, alternative sources of energy. And the point is we don't have enough electricity to support our infrastructure now. So I, I'm all about using the resources that we have, for sure, while developing alternatives. I'm talking to Monique Despain, who's running for the U.S. Congress as a Republican to replace Val Hoyle, the Democrat, who, uh, again, I, I'm going to keep reminding people that when she was Bureau of Labor and Industries Commissioner, she engaged in some very sketchy behavior. Uh, I think she broke the law. She took uh, lots of money from uh, one particular marijuana company called LaModa, that got in trouble for giving stacks of cash to other politicians. They gave cash to Val Hoyle as well, and Val Hoyle steered a very lucrative half-million-dollar contract to them. And now Congresswoman Val Hoyle refuses to give up her cell phone on which she conducted public business. And if you say, well, it's her personal cell phone, the minute you start conducting public business on your cell phone or any other electronic device, then the records on there are subject to disclosure. And yet she refuses to give the information up because I think she knows that on her cell phone is proof of her corruption. 
Because otherwise, I mean, if somebody asked for my cell phone, I don't have any you know, illegitimate stuff on my cell phone. I'd hand it uh, to the proper investigators. The proper investigators have asked Val Hoyle to give up that information, and she won't do it, which it tells me that yes, even it's... she thinks she's guilty. Sorry about that, Monique. Well, that's right, and I think that's consider her disqualified from con continued service in Congress. She's obstructing their investigation, essentially, by refusing to hand over that evidence. Yep, because I think she, she, she may really realize that the end is near. And with you running against her, we can hope that Oregon voters will vote for you. Tell people again where they can find you on social media. MoniqueForCongress.com. I'm on Facebook as well, Monique for Congress. Very good. That's Monique Despain running against Val Hoyle. If anybody's a Val Hoyle fan, I'd love to hear from you. You're listening to The Lawrence Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Because you can't get enough, Lars. Podcast every show at LarsLarson.com. This vote is not a vote to impeach President Biden. This is a vote to continue the inquiry of impeachment. Well, it's at least a start, and that is Mike Johnson, who is the Speaker of the House, and he announced today that the House will take a formal vote, it'll happen next week, to open an impeachment inquiry against President Biden next week. And I think that's at least a start. Now, is it enough? Should they have done it months ago? I'd, I'd be inclined to say yes, except I'll explain the reasons why I think waiting probably did some more good. But let me get to that in a moment. First, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. If you want to jump into the best conversation and talk journalism, it's right here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And you can vote in our Twitter poll. You'll find it two places on Twitter or X at Lars Larson Show and on our website at LarsLarson.com. So House Speaker Mike Johnson announced today that the House will take a formal vote next week to open an impeachment inquiry against President Biden. So if it strikes you that, well, they're being uh, they're being really careful about this uh, or they're being slow and they're stalling, I, I would actually say I think it's good that they're being careful. And to back that up, here's what I'd cite. Uh, over the years, uh, one of my lo most longest lasting friends uh, is former District Attorney Josh Marquis. 
And he would always tell me, Lars, if you're going to prosecute somebody, make sure you've got all your ducks in the road. Because the worst thing that you could do is launch a prosecution of somebody who you believe, and the evidence shows, is actually guilty of serious offenses. And then to get into the trial and realize you should have done a little bit more investigation, you should have crossed some more T's and dotted some more I's. That's what Mike Johnson says they're doing. They've got to this point, they've got a bunch of Republicans, and of course, sadly, a lot of the Republicans in the House of Representatives are more like rhinos, Republicans in name only. And they had to be dragged, kicking and screaming, to even say, yes, we can open an impeachment inquiry, despite all the evidence out there that Joe Biden's crime family has received at least $24 million, and maybe a lot more than that, a year ago, all we knew about for sure that we could prove was $1 million to the Biden crime family. Today, we know it's $24 million, and for all I know, in 12 months, we may know that it's $50 million that the Biden crime family enriched itself with. And a year ago, did we have any direct connection to Joe Biden himself? We knew that Hunter Biden was making big bank in Ukraine and Kazakhstan and Moscow and Beijing. And we knew that the brother, James Biden, was making a lot of money. But could you connect any of it directly to Joe Biden? Because that's what they were selling, the influence of Joe Biden as then vice president of the United States. And the answer is a year ago, no. Today, they can't. In fact, in the last two weeks, what have we found out? We found out that millions of dollars flowed from China to Hunter Biden's law firm, and that the money was then distributed from there to people like James Biden, other members of the Biden family, including checks that were cut by that corporation to Joe Biden himself. And I think that's significant. You had one check from James Biden to his brother Joe for $40,000. And if you say, well, what was that money all about? Well, according to Joe and James, it was repayment of a loan. If you believe that, and to believe that, you'd have to believe that Joe Biden, who's never done a job in the private sector in his lifetime, he's been a member of Congress, he's been a senator, he's been a vice president, now he's president. Um, they all make good paychecks, but they don't make get-rich paychecks. But James Biden, the president's brother, would have you believe why Joe loaned me a couple of hundred thousand dollars the other day, and now I'm paying it back, strangely enough, from money that James Biden got from China. That's how they were trying to hide the money. Say, I'm just paying back a loan, a loan for which, by the way, they had no paperwork at all. Now, I got to tell you something. I've loaned friends of mine, I've loaned money to friends of mine. I've had friends loan me money over the years. If any time it was more than a few dollars, there was always a piece of paper that said, this is the deal. This is how much I'm borrowing. This is how much the interest rate is. This is how I plan to pay it back. Apparently, Joe Biden was so flush, having worked his entire life as a senator, vice president, and now president, and as a senator making most of the time about $150,000 a year, which does not allow you to maintain two households and be able to bank hundreds of thousands of dollars. But his brother would have you believe that Joe had millions of dollars that he was loaning out to family members. And strangely, when China started giving all that money to Hunter Biden for nothing, for no work whatsoever. And that was another thing the bank examiners had pointed out five years ago, that Hunter Biden was getting paid millions of dollars and there didn't appear to be anything he had actually done, no legal work or anything like that. So let's go back to Mike Johnson because he talks about the fact that if you're going to launch an impeachment, you have to realize just how significant that is. 
Article 1 of the Constitution gives the House the impeachment authority, and I've said at this podium before, next to a declaration of war, impeachment, arguably the heaviest power that the, the House has. And it is, and it's important, and it shouldn't just be deployed, and I know that there are going to be people between now and next week when the vote is taken, because the House plans to take a vote next week to say, should we open a formal inquiry by the Congress and start calling witnesses. Well, already the Department of Justice under Joe Biden is blocking access to some of the most key witnesses for that impeachment. And why are they doing that? Because they know that if those witnesses testify, they're going to have to testify in a way that actually implicates Joe Biden. And I know that people are going to say, well, this is just a payback for the two impeachments of Donald Trump. Let me remind you of a couple of things about those impeachments. The first impeachment was because Donald Trump asked the president of Ukraine about corruption that was going on in Ukraine that involved Americans, to wit, the Biden crime family. He was suggesting that there were illicit deals being cut and lots and lots of money was being you know, given to the Biden crime family. It turns out his phone call was exactly on target. But uh, the second impeachment was because Trump gave a speech on the Capitol grounds before he left office in January of 2021. And the accusation was he uh, he incited a riot, the events of January 6, 2021 at the Capitol building. Even the FBI agrees there was no incitement to riot. So Mike Johnson is being careful, he says, because he realizes the Democrat Party has cheapened the idea of impeachment. Previous couple of years, uh, the House Democrats cheapened impeachment. They, they used it for partisan political purposes. They went after Donald Trump twice. I served on the impeachment defense team twice. We called those sham impeachments, snap impeachments. They were. What you're seeing right now is exactly the opposite of that. You're seeing a very deliberate investigation following, uncovering and following the facts, following the truth where it leads. That's what the Constitution requires the House to do. Now, i got to tell you something, too. It's important to notice when the Democrats were in charge and when uh, Richard Nixon was pre was president of the United States, they said the, the White House is stonewalling under Nixon. Now, if you remember the history of Watergate, that's exactly what happened. It happened when I was a teenager. Well, guess what the Biden White House is doing right now? Listen again to House Speaker Mike Johnson. So we have come to this sort of inflection point because, Chad, right now the White House is um, is is putting is stonewalling that investigation. They're refusing to turn over key witnesses to allow them to testify as they've been subpoenaed. They're refusing to turn over thousands of documents for the National Archives. And the House has no choice if it's going to follow its constitutional responsibility to formally adopt an impeachment inquiry on the floor so that when the subpoenas are challenged in court, we'll be at the apex of our constitutional authority. It will be a movement of, of a vote of the full house and that will allow us to continue and, and continue on pace i can't wait for the vote next week you're listening to the lars larson, the lars larson show email talk at larslarson.com he actually reads them more with Lars right now. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I've been kind of, uh, in some ways, amused by what uh, President Joe Biden has been doing, running around the country, bragging about how well Bidenomics is going, and then trying to gaslight Americans, both Joe and his mouthpiece, Karine Jean-Pierre, saying why prices are coming down. 
No, the rate of inflation is not inflating as fast as it was a year ago. But that doesn't mean prices are going down. It just means they're going up more slowly. So Joe Biden has apparently pinned his re-election hopes at this point on going around and selling Americans on the idea that Bidenomics has been doing them a bunch of favors. I thought we'd talk about that with Romina Baccia, who's Director of Budget and Entitlements at the Cato Institute. Romina, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Are the Democrats, I'm always glad to have you on the show because I'm not an economist and I don't know anything, I can barely balance my checkbook. But is there, a, do the Democrats realize at this point that trying to sell Bidenomics to the American public is not a winning proposition? Yes, they have been catching on. In fact, a lot of the Democrats running for re-election have been staying away from that messaging. The White House has, is still using it, but other Democrats have... Uh, have started to move away from it because they get the sense that the American people think that uh, Bidenomics is, is a tone-deaf campaign strategy. Uh, people are hurting. What used to cost $100 for a family uh, to feed themselves now costs roughly $125. <laughs> and In so just three years. people's incomes, yeah, people's incomes haven't risen at the rate that prices have gone and people are feeling the pain there taking on more credit card debt just to make ends meet, which, of course, will not end well. And so um, it is not a winning strategy. It is a winning strategy if you're trying to appeal to people that are benefiting from all the subsidies that have been going to the you know, clean energy industry and renewables and um, batteries for electric vehicles and all of that. Those people, it might resonate with them, but they're getting handouts from the government. It's not a winning economic strategy. It's just plain old vote buying. Well, and in fact, even if you're, say you're not one of the big uh, entities that's getting these subsidies, but say you're one of the smaller ones. Uh, we've talked recently about the $7.5 that was put out for electric car chargers, and the states have barely begun to start taking contract, you know, or setting up contracts to actually build them two years later. If you're one of those small companies that's getting some money, I guess you could see it as a positive unless you say, yeah, that's great. I got a government contract to build some electric car chargers that we apparently won't need because nobody wants mm -hmm. to buy the or fewer people want to buy the electric cars. But in the meantime, my paycheck has stayed about the same, probably hasn't grown a whole lot. Uh, and, and when I go to the store and my family goes to the store to buy groceries, pay rent, do all the other things you have to do, those prices are all up. So, I mean, in, yeah, even in that case, for the people directly benefit, it's kind of a mixed bag, isn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, the big thing that you haven't even mentioned yet is labor costs are going up. <laughs> Fewer people are working yep. and uh, you have to pay more to just get people in the door to put all these, you know, um, um, electric charging stations in place. That requires a lot of manpower and that manpower is expensive. You cannot outsource that to chat GPT or some AI platform. You need real human labor to do that, and that's getting really, really expensive because people realize that they need to make money in order to, uh, you know, make it pay for themselves and in order to be able to support themselves, and otherwise they're not, they're not coming out. And so this is always the tricky part with inflation. The government, because they print their money, they get to spend it first while prices are still low. Yep. And then as this money moves through the economy, prices start going up because people realize, oh, wow, there's more money out there, but actually there aren't more goods and services 
with which to buy, you know, what with which to, you know, what, what to spend that money on. So you just have more money chasing the same goods and services, and that that's inflation for you, and that's what we're what we're still working through. And the flip side, of course, is that businesses that are actually trying to expand are having a tough time doing it because interest rates are so high. Like, try to get a loan these days, even just to buy a used car. Used car prices are up 35%, even worse than overall inflation. So all of that is uh, cutting into American families' bottom lines and making them feel uh, very unenthusiastic about uh, President Biden's economic agenda. Well, Romina, I'm going to use chicken and coffee as two measures because I'm an amateur economist. So my wife and I will occasionally stop at a, a place to buy a cup of coffee. And we stop usually at the same place every day. And we've gotten to know the young men and women who work there. And we wondered, uh, why haven't we seen so-and-so in a while? Oh, all of our hours have been cut back. And I thought, oh, there's a discretionary purchase that when people start to run short of money, they say, I don't need that $5 cup of coffee, you know, or $4 mocha or whatever. The other one was, Ramina, in, in all the time I've ever driven past a Chick-fil-A, I have never seen a Chick-fil-A at any hour of the day or night without a giant line of cars waiting to buy their yeah. products. And the other night, my wife and I were doing some Christmas shopping. We drove past a Chick-fil-A and Tina said, look at that. I said, what? She said, there's no line. There's like one car there. And I thought, well, there's another oh. discretionary purchase. And again, it's anecdotal, but, but it tells me something when they're cutting back the hours of the people who work in those places. And those are some of the people who have to deal with the increasing grocery prices and other places that mm -hmm. have no line of customers waiting out the door as they always do. That tells me that, that people are starting to feel the pinch. Yes, they are. And so we'll see how much longer President Biden keeps up his uh, Bidenomics talk because it's not resonating. It's not working. We really, frankly, we need to turn things around. This whole strategy of the government just printing money and spending it on preferred industries and hoping that that will drive up growth. It is not working. It hasn't been working. We need to change it. Our deficit this year is $2 trillion. That is unheard of during relative peace times and when we're not in a major financial crisis, which we're not at the moment, thank goodness. Although with the current policies, I wouldn't be too surprised if we, if we were staring down a recession down the road. Let's hope we don't get there because then people would be hurting um, even even worse. But we need to reduce spending in Biden's out there saying, I need another $160 billion, uh, and asking Congress to label it as emergency spending so they can bust through the spending limits that they agreed to back in May. If you recall, when they raised the debt limit, they yeah. said, okay, we'll raise the debt limit, but we'll cut spending. We'll put in place these spending limits. And now uh, Biden's pushing them to just completely blow through those spending limits to give more money to Ukraine, to give money to Israel, but bundle it all together. Uh, and I think it's been good that Republicans have been saying we want to vote on those bills separately. We want to decide how much money do we think Israel needs? Do we do we want to give any more money to Ukraine? What strings need to be attached in those instances? And what are all these other things that the president wants to fund that he calls emergencies that are clearly not emergencies? Like, please, the salaries of FBI agents, that's, that should be part of the regular budget. You know, you have to pay government employees. We get that. But that's not a sudden, urgent emergency. No, it's more of a political emergency. One other thing that I've used as a benchmark, and again, in my amateur economist stuff, Romina, is the amount we pay per month 
on debt service on the national debt. Yeah. It's around, I think, $69 billion, which is still short yeah. of $3 billion a day. It's more than $2 billion a day. How soon do we hit the point where we're going to be spending $3 billion a day just to pay the interest on the debt? Yeah, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but interest is the fastest growing budget category. And of course, a lot of that will depend on the the interest rate that the Treasury will have to pay as they are rolling over one third, about eight trillion of the entire national debt over, over the next year. Like that's how much of the debt is, is coming due and will need to be rolled over and will, will, will need to be rolled over at these much higher rates. So. Absolutely right. That's Romina Bacha, who's Director of Budget and Entitlements at the Cato Institute. Romina, thank you very much. We'll be back in a moment. I want to get to your phone calls and your emails at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you're in an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Right on the left coast. Get it? Here's Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. In a moment, I want to tell you about Jay Inslee's wild $50 million fentanyl ride and how it's not likely to do much of anything to fix the major problem that Washington State, Oregon, has the same problem, and they're equally doing almost nothing about it. But now Jay Inslee has said it's an excuse for Jay Inslee, who never wants to pass up an opportunity to take advantage of a crisis. He's going to propose $50 million in spending, and I'll go through my analysis of why I don't think it's going to do anything to fix the problem. People are still going to die of fentanyl overdose. You're still going to be seeing fighting among the various uh, illegal purveyors of fentanyl, and that's going to lead to drive-by shootings and other violence that goes on. But I'll get to that in a moment. First, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. And if you want to jump in to the best conversation and talk journalism, you're always welcome at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you happen to be a naysayer, we'll put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. If you're a naysayer, you will go first. Our Twitter poll today. Should Congress allow the FBI to 
to keep its power to spy on Americans. They are due to lose their surveillance powers at the end of this year unless Congress renews them. And the FBI director, Christopher Wray, has testified to the Congress. He says it would be, the word he used was devastating, if the FBI lost its surveillance powers. Well, maybe they should have thought about that before they started using those surveillance powers uh, for politics and for other things that had nothing to do with protecting the United States of America. They began to surveil not just foreign nationals, but also American citizens. And they began to surveil people without any suspicion that those Americans had broken the law. At that point, law enforcement has no business using those powers. Now, if Chris Ray could sit in front of Congress and say, every single time we've used those surveillance powers, we have used them to protect this country, and I'll tell you how. Now, I know he's limited in what he can say, especially if they're ongoing investigations, but he can't say that. We know the FBI has used its surveillance illegally, unconstitutionally, politically, and otherwise. So now the Congress is suggesting 50 lawmakers signing a letter that said we don't want them to have these surveillance powers anymore. And that includes both Republicans and, believe it or not, Democrats as well who've said, no, we're not too crazy about you keeping those powers. Anyway, glad to have you with me on a uh, Tuesday. Always glad to take your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. This segment of the show is brought to you by NickShivers.com for an instant offer to sell your home immediately. No showings, no hassles, and you pick the closing date. Go to NickShivers.com for details. And our Twitter poll today can be found at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. Brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. I've also had a few emails from some of you who've expressed some interest. I don't know at this point, but I'm going to be watching closely. Next week, when the House of Representatives votes on an impeachment inquiry into Joe Biden, I have no doubt they will get a majority of votes. In fact, for most people like House Speaker Mike Johnson, you don't even take those votes until you know that you have a winning number. But what's going to be curious is how many Republicans vote no on having an impeachment inquiry of Joe Biden. But let me go to... Uh, Jay Inslee's wild ride, $50 million, and what he's outlined, he says a budget strategy that would add $50 million in brand new money for the 2023-25 biennium. And what, what are they going to spend all that money on? He's going to spend it on, get this list, this is the governor's list of where he's going to spend that cash. He would allocate money to education, because apparently some people in Washington State don't realize that fentanyl can kill you that fentanyl is an illegal drug and that it's stupid to take it. Awareness is where they're going to spend some of the $50 million, whatever that means. Overdose prevention, which means Narcan for the most part, and maybe equipping more institutions like schools and others with Narcan so that when people overdose on fentanyl, because the plan seems to hinge on the idea, you're just going to accept the idea that people are going to keep on overdosing, but you want to save those people from the overdose. Well, I understand that, and it's a perfectly good thing to do, but it's not talking about cutting off the supply of fentanyl or having <coughs> some consequences that would actually lead people who are using fentanyl to seek treatment. He's going to increase treatment access, except unless you have the carrot and the stick, if you offer people treatment access, Oregon is doing that right now. And you know what? 
They get almost no takers at all because the system that actually worked, that both states gave up on, Washington State because of a Supreme Court ruling and feckless state lawmakers in Olympia. Oregon because of a ballot measure, ballot measure 110, and feckless state lawmakers in Salem. When you say, well, we don't want this to be a crime anymore. We don't want to be a criminal act to have hard drugs. We'll just offer people treatment, and of course, they'll line right up and take it. Guess what? Oregon is the best experiment in doing exactly that. They offered that kind of system. They get almost no takers. They write people who are caught with illegal drugs a ticket. The ticket is $100. You don't even have to pay the $100 if you merely tell the, the police, tell the, the drug addict, here's a phone number, call the number, talk to them about treatment. Whether you accept treatment or not, you are forgiven paying the $100 fine. So there is no consequence whatsoever to having very large quantities of fentanyl or heroin or LSD or cocaine or anything else. And so as a result, almost nobody takes the treatment. And that's where Joe Biden plans, or sorry, that's where Jay Inslee plans to spend your 50 million bucks. You got the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges, but how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated. But the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Live now. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to get to your phone calls and emails in a moment. I want to tell you something. I'm somewhat heartened to find that there's been a real explosion. If you take a look at the numbers, there's been a dramatic increase in the number of kids and families who have access to school choice. And, of course, a lot of this 
was heightened. I mean, there's been a need for school choice for a long, long time as the government-run K-12 through schools have been failing kids on a regular basis. But then with the pandemic, the school shutdowns, the unions who didn't want their teachers to go back to work and serve the kids, the kids who fell behind, and the schools that said, we got a lot of extra money, but we're not going to help your kids catch up. There's, there should be even more demand for school choice, and it turns out the, the numbers have been rising dramatically. And nobody knows those numbers better than our friend Lee Fenna, who's director of the Center for Education at Washington Policy. Lee, welcome back. Well, thank you, Lars. It is super exciting to see what has happened in the last two years since the COVID school shutdowns. I mean, before COVID, only about 500,000 students in the country took advantage of publicly funded uh, programs to allow their families to go to private school, okay? There was about, yep. that's less than 1% of the total. Since COVID, so many states have expanded their school private school choice programs that now fully 36% of the nation's students are eligible to tap into public dollars to go to private school. It is amazing what's happened and well i just i can't go ahead yeah it's great news i mean i know that not all of those 20 million have done it but the fact that the parents know it's available and more importantly the fact that the k-12 schools know if we don't perform for these kids their parents can take them elsewhere it would seem we've almost reached critical mass where you get enough people doing it in various states and parents in other states where it's not school choice is not offered saying why don't we have access to that I almost think we're in a we're in a, a key position or a great spot uh, for for parents to start saying we want this option for us as well. Absolutely, absolutely. These school choice programs provide between four to eight thousand dollars per student in an education savings account for use on private school tuition or homeschooling or uh, buying uh, curriculum materials or anything or or behavioral therapies or anything that is uh, that the family decides is the best uh, tool to educate their child. It's, it's sort of a grassroots explosion and creativity and innovation in education that, that is now going to become possible because of this, because you can imagine all these small micro schools that cropped up during COVID to educate their children when the schools, the public schools wouldn't, the families learned that they can educate their own children. There's been an explosion in homeschooling, as you know, and now a lot of these homeschooling families will be able to tap into some of these programs to get, uh, you know, public help to educate their children, which of course they should. Uh, but, you know, it, it's, it's, it's amazing because of course word of mouth travels fast. And on Twitter today, I saw there was a man who was saying, I have three school choice programs to choose among. I'm, I'm in one of those states. <laughs> well, and, and think about this, Lee, because I think a lot of parents, I mean, my, my granddaughter Payson is, is homeschooled and very successfully she's able to move along at her own speed. So she's well ahead in, in, in reading. She's well ahead in math. Um, and, and mm. when parents say, you mean it was this easy? I mean, I understand there are challenges, and some parents could have a real challenge, but with all the online options and the curriculum packages that are already put together, we can go out and buy books and materials, and you say, so I can educate my, my child that easily and let my child yeah. move along at their own pace instead of the pace of the whole classroom. They're seeing it's superior and it's less expensive. It's going to be really tough for the teachers' unions to keep insisting, no, 
we got to be spending, what is it now, almost $20,000 a year in the state in oh. the state of Washington where I live? 20000 bucks yes. a year. And you say, hold on, what are we buying for 20000 bucks?" And you say, oh, exactly. probably four or $5,000 worth of education. It's much less expensive to do it go about educating the public this way no doubt about it because no longer will you have to fund these huge bureaucracies that that take you know 40 cents of every dollar away from the classroom you know no longer will you be funding unions that close down schools to strikes like just happened in portland you know so many good things would happen if uh this continues, and I think it will, because the, the idea of fund the child, not the system, is such a powerful idea. Everybody understands that, and uh, it's it's a beginning. I think we're reaching critical mass, and the fact that 36%, 20 million students in the country now have access to pu to public aid to send their child to private school. It is a revolution. It is well, exciting. And the other piece to this, leave is that not only do you force the public schools to either match that that you know performance of the private schools and homeschooling uh, or they're going to lose their kids uh, because I, I don't see any problem with the public schools losing students if if they're saying well we're going to produce a mediocre product for 20 grand and the homeschoolers or the you know the the private schools say we can produce a better product for half of that much or a third of that much at that point, the public schools have to compete, but the private schools and the homeschoolers have to compete as well. Because one program might say, "Well, our our private school is seven or eight thousand bucks." You say, "Well, I can get the same education from my child down the street from you for six thousand bucks." All of that competition usually produces excellence and lower prices, and we can have a real revolution in the way that America does public education. Absolutely, it couldn't come at a better time because did you see the international PISA results from from the from uh, the international tests that test uh, children across the world uh, in math and reading? They came out today. Our math scores for the United States—they were never very good. Now they've plummeted to the lowest level they've ever been. So the time for competition wow. and education is right now. We really need school choice. We, you know, even even Biden's. Uh, Education secretary says that we have a math crisis. Well, they're not going to fix it in the public education institutions. Okay, that's for sure. That we know from decades of trying to fix the public schools from the top on down. They are captured by the union. There's nothing that can be done really to fix that system. The only thing that will fix it is competition from school choice. Well, and I'm hoping, leave. I know Joe Biden is not going to bring up public education because that would force him to confront the unions that are a big part of the problem. But if when Donald Trump becomes the nominee, I know there are a lot of other issues that are likely to take front and center. Uh, budget concerns, energy, uh, foreign affairs, wars, things like that. But on the other hand, you could expect Donald Trump to say, look, we've got to change the way we educate our kids. And that'll be a challenge for Joe Biden. What's he going to say? Well, we're doing a great job now. Really? You're doing a great job, and you've lost hundreds, millions of kids who've already fled the public schools and lots of stu states that have already said, we're going to make public school choice or school choice a choice for 36% of all the kids in America instead of 1% that was the number just four years ago. I think this, this could be a big presidential election year issue as well, and Joe Biden can't afford to touch that third rail of all the union politics tied up in teaching. 
That's Lee Fennett, director of the Center for Education at Washington Policy. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Cast a vote in our Twitter poll. You'll find that at Lars Larson Show on X or Twitter. You're listening to the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. We've all heard I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google. Yeah, he's everywhere. The Lars Larson Podcast. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It seems the legal war over the transgender invasion of public bathrooms and locker rooms is amping up dramatically. I don't want to give you the de details on that because it seems that almost every day we see another reminder. My friend Todd Starnes, who does a talk show in Memphis, put up an item today about a young lady uh, who went off to uh, summer camp, or went off to one of the school-sponsored summer camps, and was told, you're going to sleep in the same bed as a boy, except the boy identifies as a girl. This transgender nonsense has reached a fever pitch, and it's crazy. Because you're seeing numbers that say that the number of kids claiming to be transgender in some places is up as much as 57%. And I just ask you logically, even if you accept the premise that there are boys and girls born into a body as a boy or a girl who at some point say, you know, I really identify more as female or I really identify more as male, even though I was born with the opposite gender, that you would expect, well, there's going to be a small number of people. And then all of a sudden, when it gets talked about a lot nationally, when teachers are beginning to push that agenda on their kids, oftentimes driven by their own personal sexual identity, if they're gay, if they're lesbian, if they're transgender themselves, and they're pushing this on your kids, and all of a sudden, a whole bunch of kids in a class say, oh, we're all transgender. Look, kids like to get attention, and this may be one way they're doing it. And now it seems it's got to the point where people have finally said, we're going to stop this, which is why you're seeing a, a lot of challenges, legal challenges in court and at the school district level as well. 
But first, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. I'm glad to be with you and always glad to take your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you happen to be a naysayer, you disagree with me, and usually on these transgender issues, I'll get at least one or two people who say, oh, no, you're completely wrong. We should start transitioning kids when they're 12 and give them puberty blockers and you do surgery so we can either chemically or surgically castrate them. Do you realize what a crazy idea that is? And I'll call it crazy. If you've got children who all of a sudden hear about transgender and they say, well, then I'm transgender too. And you realize the life-changing consequences of what is being done to these kids and the literally billions of dollars that major medical institutions are making from doing this so-called gender-affirming care. It's a joke. I mean, it's, it's a dark, dirty joke that has tremendous consequences, negative consequences almost entirely for the kids who are affected. But you want to jump in? It's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Vote in our X poll or Twitter poll, if you will, at Lars Larson Show. But consider this. Under the Biden administration, the Department of Ed has interpreted federal law. They didn't look at the actual writing in the federal law. They said, we're going to interpret the law. Laws that were written decades ago that allow people who identify as transgender to use restrooms and locker rooms in schools that do not align with their biological sex. So the practical effect of that, your daughter goes to school, goes to gym class, participates in organized sports, heads to the locker room to take a shower and put on clean clothes or dry clothes at the very least, and runs into a boy in the showers. Why is that allowed? Because of the Joe Biden administration interpretation of federal law. Well, several states, according to the Epic Times, have affirmed that ruling, creating legislation that allows people who identify as transgender to use the restroom that aligns with whatever's going on inside their head, their declared gender, as they call it, rather than requiring them to use spaces set aside for people of their biological sex. More than a dozen states have now made moves to prohibit people from using restrooms and locker rooms that do not correspond with their biological sex, no matter how they identify. That's a dozen states. And then you talk about a case that we've actually discussed in this uh, out of Port Towns in Washington, where an 80-year-old woman, Julie Jamin, went into the shower at the YMCA pool, not in a public school, but in a private organization. And she said, there stands a man in a woman's bathing suit looking at, watching, and touching little girls who are taking down their bathing suits. So she objected. Guess what? Julie got kicked out of the YMCA. She was banned for life. She has been going swimming at that pool for 34 years. She's never seen a man in the women's changing area. And yet when she objected to that, all of a sudden they said, you are the problem. You leave, Julie Jamin. And, uh, and that's outrageous. So people have heard these stories. They understand that they're well documented. And now, well, there are a dozen states that have amended their laws to include gender identity as a protected class subject to anti-discrimination. And then there are states that say, no, we're not going to go that direction. We're going to protect the actual little boys and girls. Let's go first to Catherine. Hey, Catherine, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Hello, Catherine. Hi, Lars. Yes, Hi, what's on you your mind? Today? I'm I'm doing quite well today, although I want this stuff to stop because it's putting kids at risk. Would you agree? Yeah, 
I do agree. Uh, although I am empathetic to the people who do truly identify in that way, I do see this as grooming through the public school systems in many states. For myself and my children, it was part of their fourth grade health curriculum to identify their sexuality. They were, I found worksheets where they were required to say what sexuality the, and gender the no person was and forced to identify themselves as um, some type of sexuality. My child wrote bisexual and pansexual without knowing what they were just because all of the other kids wrote that also. Yep. And she, she, he or she wanted to fit in with the crowd. And Catherine, should yeah. any public school teacher be talking about personal sexual matters with a nine-year-old, a fourth grader? No, and I opted out of this program. I said my child could. I think we just lost her call, but we'll see what happens. Let's go to Rob. Hey, Rob, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? I have great respect for you, and I admire you, and I listen to you all the time. But thank you. You're kind. You're kind of borderlining with the, just the just the run of the mill talking heads on all the different conservative stations that I talk to. And I really wish you would stop using the PC terminology. The people out there that you're referring to are gender dysphoric, and I know you use that. But most of the time, you're 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 being the nicey, and you're using the transgender. There is no such thing as transgender or transgenderism and i know you know that but i, I know that but rob when we're talking about a subject should i use the the terminology that is the common terminology because if i don't and there are lots of subjects where i could use the technical term for something and nobody would know what i was talking about so how do you split how do you how do you bridge that gap because it's a gap not just on this subject but a lot of subjects it it might be uh, three or four more words you might have to add in there, and I know uh, timing is critical, but the transgender community, also known as the dis gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria. I don't although, know. Al <laughs> although now, now the DSM-3 or 4, whichever one we're on the di Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, they're trying to change the rules. It used to be viewed as a mental illness. I think it is a mental illness. And I think it Absolutely. should be treated as a mental illness, but they insist. And so if we talk about trans issues or if we say, oh, we're talking about gender dysphoric, Rob, I think I'm going to lose a bunch of people who are going to say, I don't know what you're talking about. I may agree with you, but I don't know what you're talking about. Rob, I appreciate the call. Glad to get your calls to at 866-HEY-LARS. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. The Lars Larson Show. men will bow down before the throne and at his feet they'll cast their golden crowns when the man comes around this is the Lars Larson show welcome back to the program glad to have you on board and if you want to join the conversation it's 866 hey Lars that's 866-439-5277 send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. I when I consider the idea that 
Our nation's capital is one of the most dangerous cities in the United States of America. You've got to wonder, what is wrong with this picture? And a nation that should be a nation of law and order, a nation of laws, not a nation of men. That when our nation's capital becomes one of the most dangerous places in America, there is something very seriously wrong. And I thought we'd talk about that with Dr. Curry Myers, who is both a criminologist with a background as a former sheriff and a state trooper as well. Dr. Myers, welcome back. Always a pleasure. Thanks so much, Lars. Let's let's just sketch this out for my audience. First of all, how much has crime gone up in the District of Columbia? It's incredible. It's insane. It's a very, very dangerous city, not only with respect to violent crime, but property crime has escalated significantly. Uh, the recent data from the Metropolitan Police Department um, indicates that it's been a 32% increase in homicides, over last year, last year was already a record year, um, and the report shows the total number of crimes in the city has increased by 27% over that same period. Uh, and in particular, if you look at motor vehicle theft, it's up 92%. You probably have seen the headlines, and all your listeners have seen the headlines of police officers. There was an FBI agent carjacked not too long ago. We've had congressmen carjack we've had all kinds of people carjacking they're up a staggering um to 900 carjackings in the in the in dc this year uh, to give you some idea there were 244 last year uh, which shows you just the increase this year and but more than tripled in in one year and three quarters of them involve guns yes and of those 900, only 244 carjacking cases have been closed, and only 159 carjacking arrests have been made. So there are a lot of folks that are out that haven't paid their debt and been arrested for these significant crimes. Well, uh, so in it's fact, when, the reason I pointed out the involvement of guns, Dr. Myers, I'm a gun owner. I believe in the Second Amendment, but not guns in the hands of criminals. If there's a gun involved in a carjacking, I assume that if the driver in any way resists, that, that there's a very high potential for the driver either getting hurt or killed when the, when the, uh, the criminal chooses to use a gun in the commission of that crime. Oh, it's definitely the case, and most people... Carjackings are, are most common, especially in the urban sectors, when somebody does come in with a gun. And there's often, we, what we've seen is a, is a change, too, in the type of carjackings. It used to be where carjackings might be by a singular person. We're seeing more mob activity and mob behavior and criminality than we've seen in, in a long time, in decades. So it may be that you actually get um, stopped or uh, surrounded by a couple of cars and multiple people will come out and uh, carjacking. And so it's not just carjacking, but robberies are up 70, 70 percent um, in, in Washington, D.C. And, you know, again, the data, as you know, I'm a big believer in evidence based policing. And yep. quite frankly, we're not following the evidence. We're not we're not taking care of business. We know the top five sectors of the city that have the most crime. Um, it's in the U Street corridor, the Brentwood, Den uh, Deanwood, Shaw, and Georgetown are generally between 45 and 108 percent higher than the other areas. And I agree with you. You know, I'm I'm a pro Second Amendment person, um, 
and and when you try to when you try to impose and have new regulations on gun policies, they don't work. Um, by nature, criminals don't follow the law. Um, we have enough laws on the books for people who commit guns with crime, uh, commit a crime with a gun, but we don't enforce the law, and we have prosecutors that are not enforcing the law. We've got enough laws on the books, Lars. We have enough. The yeah. problem is we're not enforcing it and we're not holding people accountable. The criminal justice system is supposed to be a carrot-and-stick philosophy weighed similarly, and unfortunately it is 90% carrot and 10% stick nowadays. I'm and talking to way, Dr. Curry Myers, who's a criminologist, former sheriff, and state trooper. The other piece of that, a couple of other pieces I wanted to ask you about, one is while it is technically possible to get a concealed carry permit to be able to carry a gun in the district on paper it's possible but i've talked to at least one young lady who actually went through the process and i think it was close to two years and a lot of money to be able to get a gun so the people who are likely to become the victim of a carjacking to a great de to a great uh, degree the criminals know the gun owner or the uh, car owner is not likely to be armed well, that's true. In, in most of the, of the urban sectors, um, across the United States, they're usually in states that have some of the worst gun laws and, and some of the highest crimes. So, um, actually there was a great book, uh, written by Dr. Lott a few years ago called, uh, More Guns, Less Crime. Um, yep. I believe that that holds true. Um, and, and if you look at, um, the history of, of gun use, uh, if we just enforce the laws that were specific currently to gun laws like a felon in possession, or if you committed a crime in possession of a gun, a firearm, uh, then that's when they lay the hammer down, and they should. Even the federal government, there used to be a, a five-year enhancer um, when you committed a felony in the federal system with a gun. The Department of Justice now doesn't doesn't even go after some of those enhancers like they used to. So this is a prosecutorial issue. This is a defund police uh, issue. In fact, the, the Washington, D.C. just got some money, um, about $250,000, as a matter of fact, that the mayor was uh, able to get. And, and she used that money to refurbish the BLM sign huh. manual that's printed on the street um, that, was, that was done during the riots in June of 2020. So here's a quarter of a million dollars that the mayor has decided to um, not invest in policing, but is redoing a, a mural. So, Well, she's, she's spending money on a political message that was painted by a private group, a group that happens to be connected to a lot of criminal activity itself, you know, riots, arson, looting, and murders nationwide, and to, and to put their political sign back on the street. The other piece I wanted to ask you about is this. Of the people arrested for carjacking in Washington, D.C., where the numbers have gone up so dramatically, Two-thirds of them are kids? Yes, high juvenile crime. And it's not just, of course, the carjackings and the violent crime and the robberies that are occurring, but property crime is escalating and vandalism. So uh, I did a, on my Substack. I did recently on retail crime and the increases in retail crime, and specifically in Washington, D.C., we have packs of, of juveniles usually armed that are going into pharmacies such as CVS and going into other um, stores that sell similar goods uh, and food products, and they go in and literally walk out with whatever they want, handful, handful of stuff, 
and whatever they don't take, they ransack, ransack the facility. Um, so it, it, uh, they're just leaving the whole, you know, store system in chaos. And what you're going to happen is businesses are going to shut down. They're going to say, I can't afford to do business here. Um, or what people's going to do is they're going to start being armed themselves. I don't know if you recently saw where in New York City, the Bodego owners yep. have decided to band together and start, um, being armed. And, and you know, and anytime they you go into that, and they should, but you go into those kind of escalations, it makes things worse. Absolutely. Well, it's going to get some people hurt or killed. That's Dr. Curry Myers. Dr. Myers, thanks very much. Back in a moment, I'll get to your phone calls and emails at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. You're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. Guys, I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. In a rocky political climate, he's the steamroller. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. On a Tuesday, I want to give you an update on a story we've talked about before, but within the last hour or so, we've had a development involving the off-duty Alaska Airlines Magic Mushroom Pilot. Now, if you don't remember the story, this man was taking a flight uh, from Seattle uh, down to, I believe, San Francisco, and he was flying as a jump seat, meaning you flew up, fly up in the cockpit because you're a pilot uh, and you're not viewed as a security concern, but you're flying in the jump seat. He tried to shut down the engines on the jet, which if he had succeeded in uh, in pulling, I think they call it punching the bottle or pulling the bottle, meaning it fires the fire extinguishers and cuts off the fuel to the engines because it's what you would do if you had, say, an engine fire in one of the engines. It would have disabled the plane uh, as it was uh, heading down uh, down the West Coast, and, uh, and it could have killed everybody on board. Eighty-three counts of attempted murder is what they asked for. Well, guess what? Uh, a grand jury has now only indicted this man. His name is Joseph Emerson. Uh, they've indicted him on one count of endangering an aircraft and 83 counts of recklessly, recklessly endangering another person. The grand jury, Multnomah County Grand Jury, decided that Joseph Emerson did not attempt to injure anyone and therefore declined to charge him with 83 counts of attempted murder originally sought by the state. Now, hold on. You're on an airplane, you're on there with 83 other people, you try to shut down the engines, which would have given the plane 
some time to pick a landing spot. And as I recall, the path, uh, they were over or near between Astoria and Portland. So they were in an area where there are no convenient places to put down uh, a jetliner that's had both of its engines turned off, the fuel flow choked off, the fire extinguisher bottles fired, and you have no engines anymore. Now, there's some aerodynamic properties to a jet like that, but they don't have much of a glide ratio. They'd have been on the ground or in the water fairly soon. But the grand jury decided he didn't actually attempt to injure anybody by turning off the engines on an airplane with 83 souls on board. Now, if that makes sense to any of you, well, then you'd probably serve well on a Multnomah County grand jury. To uh, Mike, let's. Uh, Mike's listening on the Radio Northwest Network. Hey, Mike, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Yeah, um, on your transgender deal, I am sick and tired of all these groups trying to cram this stuff down our throats. You I mean, me there's both. multiple, there's many, many cases of uh, assault in the restrooms or changing areas by these uh, mental cases. And it is, they are mental cases. Um, yep. They are, they are, and Mike, the, the assault cases, if you start with, and you say this person is, is troubled mentally, but they're troubled in particular about their gender, uh, and you say, okay, what could possibly go wrong? There's somebody who is troubled about, you know, they have mental difficulties that relate to who they see themselves as, and then you consider that, for, for example, uh, the person who, uh, who was involved in the uh, shooting at the Nashville pri the private school near Nashville? Um, and you say, well, well, what was the background there? Somebody who, again, was—I'll use the popular term—but I take the point of the caller who told me earlier, don't use the, yeah. the popular <laughs> terms. Well, I get that, but if if I well, what are we talking about? Somebody with gender dysphoria. This person was a troubled mental case with difficulties dealing with who they are sexually and who they are gender-wise. Do you think that person might build up a you know a steam of anger you know about about things you know and how they let that anger out? Well, in, in the case of the Nashville shooter, you murder people, um, and and you're right. I think these are people who are mentally troubled, and instead society says, well, we have to accommodate them, we have to humor them in their confusion, and we have to say, okay, you think you're a girl. Uh, or you think you're a boy, fine, we'll, uh, we'll treat you like a girl or a boy. We'll give you surgery, we'll give you drugs, we'll do all these other things to you. And most of the people, there's a, a, a Dr. Blair Peters is one of the doctors at Oregon Health Sciences University. Um, they're making a lot of money at OHSU and at the University of Washington Medical School. Uh, they're making lots and lots of money by providing treatment. And most of those doctors say, we're still trying to figure out things as we go along. We don't know whether this works. We don't know about the long-term consequences. And, Mike, they're messing with, in many cases, kids. Kids who are yes, physically yes. immature, psychologically immature. And you mess with their bodies. You mess with their hormones. And then you say, well, gosh, nothing could ever go wrong with that, could it? No. And you look at the suicide rate of people that have, uh, that have uh, transformed. I mean, it's astronomical. Yeah, and they always focus you know? on, they say, we're saving these kids' life by preventing their suicides. The no. problem is they're only looking at the suicide rate of those people who identify themselves as transgender yeah. and dysphoric and all that.
What they don't look at is what about the suicide rate of those who have transitioned and they're still unhappy with who they are. And now we've got the phenomena, and you could have predicted it, that there would be people who would make the transition from one gender to the other, get all the treatments, get the chemical castration and the double mastectomies and all the rest of that, and then say, I'm still unhappy, put it back the way it was. And for the most part, yeah. they're told by doctors, you ain't going to put this stuff back the way it was. We can't do it. And then they're even less happy about that outcome. And then you say, do people who are psychologically troubled and unhappy with their lives, do they ever take that out on the people around them? And the answer seems to be a big fat yes. And the public schools are pushing it down the throats of children, and they need to be stopped. Glad to be with you on a Tuesday. It's the Radio Northwest Network. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com.